Welcome to NeuroNoodle's Neurofeedback and Neuropsychology Podcast, featuring tech legend Jake Gunkelman. He's the man who has read well over half a million brain scans, and Dr. Marie Swingle, author of iMinds. Our goal is to provide information and promote options for better mental health. The NeuroNoodle Podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. What's the topic? It was uh, the psychosyllabin, the... Uh, the uh, oh, psilocybin. Psilocybin. Uh, psilocybin. Yeah. yeah. And that, that one has some potential, obviously. Um, well, the background was what? The, the guy was... Uh, yeah. A, a pop, yeah. It, 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 and it was his first trip. You know, it's <laughs> first time on psilocybin. He didn't know what he was doing, um, uh, and he didn't have a guide or uh, you know therapeutic setting or anything. Yeah. I mean, it was just eating psilocybin and you know in a uh, cockpit, flying home uh, in the jump seat of the cockpit. I mean, <laughs> anybody who's a, a psilocybin guide or a, a therapist of some sort wouldn't assign you to go flying in a cockpit uh, uh, full of technical stuff for your first trip. I mean, this is, you know, silliness. But uh, a, a self-inflicted wound on his part that he won't ever fly again. You know, that's... He's got uh, more problems. Every person on that plane, isn't that like attempted murder? I mean, geez. Yeah, he's going to end up with a, a, a pretty stiff jail sentence of some sort. Um, but you know he's he's not the first one to have a bad trip. Yeah, uh, psilocybin ends up increasing neural connectivity, and it's useful therapeutically, um, especially if you're doing things like TMS or TDCS, and you're trying to stimulate a network. It enhances the connectivity so that the network is a network; it's all connected. And when you stimulate a spot of the network. It isn't a partial network. The whole thing is connected, so you get the entire network when you stim. And, you know, psilocybin or DMT or ketamine or, 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 there's a whole list of them. They're patented for, by a company that does TMS. Um, if you find a thalamocortical dysrhythmia in the brain, you give them uh, a dissociative of some sort, uh, the, the pharmaceutical, and that enhances the connectivity, and then you do your TMS. And the use of ketamine, you know, you could do dental surgery on ketamine. And in fact, that's a common use for it. Uh, um, and you can turn up the stimulator intensity, not to 80% of motor threshold, but to like 140% of motor threshold, which would normally be painful. But you're on ketamine, you know? give a damn about the twitch you know and so that they have a higher efficacy uh, remission and response rate um than is normally reported but you know it, it's it's probably necessary to find somebody who's not part of the company that patented it all uh to actually see some accurate um remission and and uh, uh response rates but their their rates were you know, most most everybody gets better, and um, and that's not the case in in uh, TMS. You know they're fifty uh, percent you know, or so if they're lucky. 
Yeah. If you permit me to just kind of put a, a, a lens on this, I mean, Jay, I know you always refer to what, how can we talk about things? Obviously for our colleagues, um, you know, we, we have a, a certain level of intellectual or scientific conversation, but also, you know, for the mom and pops who are curious about this, I think one of the major issues, I mean, Jay kind of knows that I, I am more conservative professionally. Um, I stand a little bit on the sidelines. And this is one where I've kind of been on the sidelines. And I, I'm not going to really dive into efficacy, non-efficacy. I, I know when to shut up when it's not my time. Uh, but what I do want to talk about is the lens. Um, and you know, why certain, I would say, newer therapies that they're introduced get such a bad rap. Obviously, lack of research. But you know, also qualifications of people doing yeah. anybody doing this level of experimental research better have a lot of credentials and ethics higher than any building anywhere on this planet. Um, and, you know, analogy that just kind of came to mind, if you're talking about anesthesia, you know, think about, you know, you know, would you, you know, just do anesthesia on your own, because you've heard that when you pop a blister, you know, or even let, let's go for it, you know, you, you, because you know, your, your appendix is bothering you. Okay. That's, that's kind of the, I mean, I'm, I'm playing with analogies and I'm really exaggerating, but for an individual uh, to um, uh, consume a substance that's absolutely known uh, to cause hallucination, to alter behavior, and now is currently being explored um, by very qualified people in terms of its ability to completely change neuronal circuitry, okay? There's, and hopping on a plane, you know, that, that I think is what we need to bring to the general public. Um, so I, I'm Pardon the interruption, Jay, but I don't want to just kind of go from, oh, yeah, this dude just did this on a plane to full it um, uh, to sorry, how wonderful it potentially could be uh, for for TMS. I just wanted to take a bit of a pause here and talk about what we're really talking about. It's yeah. absolute misguided, misguided curiosity to <laughs> alter substance. He agrees. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Is it is this a, a misguided statement? If you have a choice between doing weed or doing LSD or psilocybin, psilocybin and LSD can do more for your mind than weed. <laughs> do more for your mind is is, is the key there. Yeah. Um, it, you're, it, it could do more to your mind, perhaps. But for for your mind sounds like it's uh, productive, and it can be in the right circumstance. Um, uh, but, you know, uh, we, having done uh, uh, some pilot work with some of the corporate entities that look at uh, anthogens, uh, 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 there are EG patterns that end up having difficult outcomes uh, when they try uh, ketamine and or any of the others. Um, the same exact biomarkers that predict medication failure in psychiatry epileptiform content that's unexpected. Now you, you don't know, you've got these discharges in your head and you know that something's not quite right because you're in a therapy to try and get something straightened out and they recommend uh, a, a trip for you. Well, if you've got epileptiform content in your head, that trip may not be the, mm -hmm. the, the outcome you're looking for. Um, uh, 
K-holes, ketamine bad experiences are called K-holes. And, you know, they're they're not uncommon. Uh, But you can predict with high probability that you're going to have one if you have epileptiform content that's unexpected in your EEG or what's what's called F2 beta spindles, gigantic sinusoidal beta spindles. uh, They were identified by Gibbs and Gibbs. Uh, F1 is just more beta than you'd expect. F2 is giant spindles, greater than 20 microvolts. I mean, beta spindles that size are not common, but when you see them, they're problematic. And they predict medication failure in psychiatry. Mm-hmm. So uh, they're, they're medication failure for antigens as well. And um, uh, the, you know, if you go to a ketamine clinic, they will look at your EG first. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm sorry, you've got epileptoform content. You probably have a bad experience. Mm-hmm. Uh, they, they, they go, oh, you're complaining of intractable depression and you know, um, we, 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 we do this for that. So um, they would tuck you in and uh, give you the, the injection or a nasal or, you know, whatever that particular clinic is, is into. And, um, and it may not go well for you. I'm going to ride that horse in again. You know, if, if we even go into uh, back to to weed, we know a little bit more about marijuana than we do about um, these other substances now. But, you know, sure, marijuana a little bit before bed can help with sleep. But it can also, if you're the right uh, phenotype, so to speak, it can trigger schizophrenia. OK, this is serious stuff. And I think it's, um, it, you know, we have popular uses and then we have uh, medical or psychiatric or psychological uses and never the twain should uh, meet. And I think that's um, that's a, a big issue. If I could digress a little bit with alcohol, because we know so much, so much culturally about alcohol, the exact same quantity of alcohol can turn somebody into a giggly, gregarious person, can turn somebody into a crying, sobbing, sad person, or turn somebody violent. It's the same substance, sometimes the same quantity. It's how it interacts uh, with the individual. Um, Now, I I mentioned also quantity, that's another subset in where, um, you know, some people are absolutely loopy off of a half a little glass of very light wine um, and other people can consume massive amounts of, of alcohol and, and are, are, are relatively functional. So I'd say take our cultural uh, knowledge and scientific knowledge um, of one substance and apply it to the things that we're currently exploring. You know, again, I'm not against these things per se, but I am venomously against our our ignorance uh, crossing over into our idiocy of of how we're applying these things globally as opposed to scientifically. Yeah. The reason I brought up that statement was, you know, uh, the Beatles, uh, any other rock group out there, if there wasn't LSD, would they have been able to create what they created because it creates new pathways? And isn't that what neurofeedback is supposed to do? Well, yeah, I mean, you know, for, what do we do for artists? You know, we train, we, we, we play with alpha, we play with, um, uh, we play with theta, um, you know, 
it very basically we're relaxing people, you know, uh, we're de-stressing people, but we're also helping people get into fugue states. Okay. That is a natural trip. Uh, Jay, you can go into a deep dive here in terms of the neurology and the circuitry. Um, but, uh, yeah, Sean Grosellier did uh, a, a good study on creativity, and uh, they did blinded radar creativity measurements uh, for musicians that were in the Conservatoire of Music, which is kind of like Juilliard is in New York. This is in London um, at the International, at, at, at the uh, uh, London uh, uh, Conservatoire of Music. And the... Um, they they tested other things too the Alexander method which is supposed to get you you know uh, better at your instrument and all of these other things and the blinded radar basically showed the Alexander method didn't do a damn thing it, they they thought that was like really positive for uh, assisting the students but apparently it was more of a placebo effect for the radar than anything else but uh, the alpha theta training was done. And uh, they did some beta and some SMR training as well. And the beta training didn't do a damn thing for their uh, 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 expressiveness or creativity. But alpha theta training, on the other hand, enhanced creativity dramatically. And um, if, if um, the SMR had a slight uh, benefit on the, on the instrument technique, um, uh, how, how you, you know, how you, how you played your instrument, but not the expressiveness and all that. That was all alpha theta. Mm -hmm. It was so dramatically uh, improved. And and these were not, you know, it's like, how do you get into Juilliard? You have to be damn good already, you know? So mm -hmm. these, were, these were creative, expressive people that were enhanced. And uh, Griselier ended up with quite a, a, a uh, a career spinoff off of that working with professional musicians and um, um, the, the uh, uh, orchestras in Europe and so forth. So he he ended up having Alpha Theta as a uh, an enhancement of creativity. Yeah. Yeah. Um, it, it, he didn't do ketamines and he didn't do MDMAs and all that to enhance their creativity. I'm sure there's some students that might have run into those sorts of things because students do, but um, uh, the, the, this was a, a well-designed experiment with the uh, uh, with, with the control groups and and um, uh, looking at not just one technique but others. And um, it, it, you know, if you can enhance someone's creative expression, um, you're tapping into a, a, a deeper internal sense of uh, state and self and um, that that's not easy to do but apparently it's um, it's workable with um, with neurofeedback uh, tapping into deeper states now alpha theta uh, also is used for PTSD recovery where uh, people have to get into unconscious material to deal with it. I mean, that, uh, unless you actually grab onto that unconscious material and wrestle with it, it's always going to be there. And uh, it, uh, alpha theta training allows you to get into a deep enough state to have access to that unconscious, preconscious material and still have some alpha hanging around for adult awareness. 
and you encounter the unconscious material while you still have adult awareness and you can deal with it and kind of set it aside at that point. Uh, uh, PTSD, uh, deep uh, emotional uh, damage basically uh, can be dealt with with it. And you can also get in touch with your emotions and so forth for enhanced creativity. So the same tool can be used for uh, uh, musical enhancement, but it can also be used for uh, therapeutic uh, uh, deep dive into your uh, pre-conscious, unconscious material that may be bothering you. Yeah. Um, we have very distinct markers for all of these, you know, just to, I mean, I'm, I'm referring to our clinical database now, but, you know, we found that, you know, if you, an augmentation from eyes open to eyes closed, less than 50% tends to be highly associated with some kind of extreme emotional experience that has not been processed, AKA your PTSD. And of course the lower um, the, the alpha jump or the higher the alpha blunting, depending on how you want to word that, uh, the, the, the deeper the, uh, the block. Uh, conversely, the higher the jump of, of alpha, uh, from eyes uh, open to eyes closed is directly correlated in our work uh, with artistic expression until a certain capping point when it tends to be associated with complete deregulation. Now, this is an area that fascinates me because I think it kind of loops into what Jay was saying before. And if he didn't say it directly, you know, he was saying the Beatles had to be the Beatles, you know, whether they were doing LSD or not is potentially irrelevant. And if I could digress mildly, I think everybody knows that that person or that couple who are just like potheads and have been for years and years and you know air quote they're fine they're just really these really nice people right and their careers are okay etc cetera, etc cetera. and you have other people that um you know they they their lives are ruined by the identical uh consumption what's the difference that it there's nothing different in the substance they're taking. The difference is the person. I'm not even going to go into the nature and nurture. There's obviously environment in here, but I'm just, you know, one topic at a time, shall we say. But, you know, some individuals uh, can have a higher tolerance or acceptance or processing or cannabis uh, receptors that they can... Um, their, their brains can handle the, and their bodies can handle these substances better. But to loop around, again... Um, what is already in the person. We sometimes give credit um, to medications. We sometimes give credit to behaviors, processes, procedures, et cetera, when, when you're really just accessing something that's that's already in the um, in the person. I think my computer is kind of cute. It gives me a time uh, when it, when you know maybe it's time for me to to, to stop talking here. <laughs> <laughs> what what your, is the your your screen blackout uh, per periodically <laughs> as a yeah time out? Yeah, I, I think this is Pete going. Whoa, it's Jay's. It's Jay's It's just it's set on time. So. But, but getting back to creativity, uh, and, and I threw out the Beatles, okay? What, what is creativity? Because I, you know, in my perusing of Facebook, when I have nothing better to do, I see, you know, a couple snippets here and in, in there of somebody that can't visualize something. Like when you say an apple, some people see a red apple. Some people see an outline of an apple. Some people will see text. 
Is there any truth to that? Or? Yes, it depends. I mean, I, I think all of us are old enough uh, to have been readers, okay? And I think also many of us are old enough to know that we had friends that were readers and we had friends that didn't. I mean, I personally, the reason why I adored reading is I literally saw a movie in my head. And I remember uh, an experience when I was a very young child. Um, Jay, you could probably speak to the, the state I was in. I was reading um, and I was just so enthralled with what I was reading. And at some level of peculiar consciousness, I went, Mari, you know, close the book, close the book, stop reading, get into the story. I closed the book and then whoop, the story was in the book. Like that's how far my brain had taken off. And then there are other individuals that just, they, I'm not, they can't, it's not that they can't read. They just don't get that visual activation uh, from the reading. So I think there's some of it that's innate. I think, you know, in terms of our physiology, I think, or sorry, neurophysiology, I think there's some of this that's trained in that your parents sat you down with books and read to you as a child. And I also think that... Um, Where I was going with you don't it. Have, if you don't use it, you lose it, I think is what's going on. Where I was going is this generation here, we don't have the readers. They need the film, they need the Netflix, they need the, the, the phones, et cetera. Very, very few readers um, nowadays get that that activation so that goes into what I was saying about the training but just to kind of complete the idea before I pause there and the camera didn't go out um, you know <laughs> I, I think yeah <laughs> right from the uh, beginning I think there's something in all of us where there's more of a propensity to that or uh, another and I think we're looping right back into the creativity and as far as I'm concerned that's all alpha that's all yeah. alpha well the creativity requires the access to unconscious, pre-conscious material as well. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know if you remember Anna Weiss. Uh, Anna Weiss was a brilliant uh, woman and uh, she learned under Maxwell Cade in England about peak performance uh, meditators and uh, peak performance business people and so forth that she learned the state uh, content there. She moved to the United States and caught a lecture by Carl Prebram about content versus state. And uh, that that really hit home for her and it, it helped her. Now, she never did neurofeedback. She was uh, um, a, a guided meditation person, but she used EEG and she would do an extended interview with the individual and one of the things she would do is have you imagine the color red, blood red, fire engine red, flame red, some kind of red would trigger the idea of red for you. And there was a flare of energy in your power spectra up somewhere in the low beta frequencies. As you went from red, orange, yellow, Roy G. Bibb on the way down towards violet or purple, um, it, it slower and slower and slower and slower. Purple's down in the theta frequencies. Now, she has all this written down for you as an individual. What specific frequency responds to what color? In your guided meditation, if she sees a missing frequency, she assumes information can't flow from the low frequencies to the high frequencies if there's what she called a gooseneck, missing frequency. So she would simply look at her uh, interview and uh, figure, oh, orange, 
will give me the right frequency for this person at this time. Into the guided meditation comes orange. And uh, she, she would literally sculpt your spectra with guided meditation. And she was extraordinarily good at that. And um, I, I have to say, I've never seen anyone other than her uh, be able to do uh, what, what she did. She, she was uh, an, an absolute uh, master at what she did. Thanks uh, for she, bringing that up, Jay. I mean, I, I actually want to, I'm not sure whether I still have to dust that stuff off and go back to her work. Um, I think it loops back in. I want to just kind of throw out an idea. It might loop back into some of the things that we were talking about at the Susan um, Summit um, in that, you know, more mature females um, tend to have more beta and, and, and gamma and a little bit of a, a joke, uh, which people might be aware of. Why do older women love purple? Okay. I, you know, we joked about royalty and coming into your own and it being a dominant color. But if you really look at favorite colors of people, many more mature females love purple. Do you think there's anything there? Could be yeah. probably probably something to take uh, take some eg correlates of to, yeah could be fun uh, to to see but you know uh, the, the the ability to have the insight that the content of your consciousness ends up changing the state of your consciousness and vice versa uh, the state that you're in can literally uh, select what uh, what options you have so. Um, and if you're going to alter your state with a substance, you should have some idea of what territory you're entering, uh, because you shouldn't be in a cockpit on your first trip, you know? So, uh, and you, it's, it's, it's appropriate to end up having people that have been there before, uh, do some guidance for you. I don't know anybody that would counsel you to go jumping into your workplace uh, on on a single you know single trip of psilocybin. You don't have any idea how you're going to respond. Yeah. Um, and you know, uh, the, I don't know what kind of psilocybin he ate. If they were mushrooms or some prepared, you know, uh, chocolates or whatever. But um, a dose isn't exactly. Um, uh, a well-established art, um, and uh, uh, some people respond uh, dramatically to doses that others would not be able to tolerate, yeah. and um, or even notice. Uh, back in the day, I had a friend who would eat a handful of LSD four-way barrels, like five, <laughs> six four-way hits, whoop, all at once, and he enjoyed the state. He called it stars and stripes forever because um, you couldn't see anything. I mean, it was all totally derubricized perception, uh, Peter Max-like perception. <laughs> so if you remember back in the era, Peter Max had the uh, kind of yellow submarine sort of art uh, that he did. Yeah. Anyway, uh, so um, it turns out that he was the best electronic engineer I've ever met. And he had a uh, hugely creative uh, a, a skill set with re with respect to creating EG amplifiers. <laughs> so, um, you know, so he, this is where you jump in. Don't do this at home. You know that 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 big. Yeah, that yeah, yeah. Thing. You're not going to turn into an electronic engineer by eating handfuls of four way barrels. Uh, 
but at the same time, there are people that that end up diving deep into their unconscious, preconscious material and dredge up ideas and uh, new ideas. You know, uh, um, it, let, let's look at ayahuasca for a moment. Um, uh, David Stuckey uh, did a, a nice research project where he took a Lexicor amplifier all the way down to the Amazon and found two shamans out in the middle of the jungle, had set up a, a, a generator in the village and extension cords out into the jungle to this junky old amplifier of a Lexicor, uh, hooked up the, these shamans who were tripping and, um, on ayahuasca. Now, he brought the data back. Uh, uh, Frank Eichenhofer, his uh, PC dissertation chair, uh, said, oh, it's all muscle artifact. Uh, so no, no, the data is no good. <laughs> so he actually brought the data over to me because I had written a book on artifacts. He said, just tell me this is crap. I'll leave you alone. You know, I, I'm sorry to bother you. Uh, and I looked at it. I said, no, uh, there's hypersynchronous gamma here. This is more hypersynchronous than David. Uh, um, then uh, Richard Davidson's uh, uh, Dalai Lama's monk study. So, um, you know, you've got really good data here. Uh, you're going to have to tell your uh, PhD dissertation chair that he was wrong, however, and that's not always easy. Uh, but just you know, tell him I looked at it and uh, point to the fact that the gamma has high coherence and muscle artifact is not high coherence. So uh, you, you can kind of point at that. But what does ayahuasca do? It creates connectivity that you don't normally ever see. And you have synesthesia. Now, synesthesia is a crossing of normal sensory boundaries that don't talk to each other. Normally, when you see something, you don't smell it. When you taste something, you don't feel it. When you feel something, you don't hear it. I mean, th these are cross sensory boundaries that normally aren't, aren't uh, cross connected. And um, and they're connected. So aren't you going to come out of that with a, 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 a different uh, experience of, um, of, of art visually? Because now you can smell and taste it. So um, it, it's going to change your experience. And, um, and there, there are, I think, positive uh, outcomes for people that end up having enhanced connectivity, but there's also very disturbing. I mean, if if you're freaked out by non-normal cognitive function, uh, and, and and you you look at a tree and you smell it and taste it, um, yeah, just by looking at it. I mean, that's that's pretty freaky. So uh, there's some people that actually uh, kind of lose their uh, sense of control. Um, it, because their 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 normal uh, controls are not there, and uh, their their senses are uh, kind of taking over some of the uh, the operation there. So, um, you know, people that need to have their hands firmly on the steering wheel uh, will end up losing uh, control uh, to the drug, and and have sometimes very difficult experiences from that. I think we're also just talking about levels of. Um access of state uh you know when you're talking about synesthesia um you know many artists when they're actually actively yeah. producing 
the the artwork have that, but it clicks yeah. off once they finish the painting or whatnot. And I think, um, you know, as humans, we just have an immense curiosity uh, to to access these type of states, whether we see them as otherworldly or godly, or you know, just our inner workings that we don't understand. Um, you know, I, I think it's all fascinating but you know curiosity about artistry um you know medical means helping individuals to break unpleasant states uh, such as depression uh, versus just woohoo drug use <laughs> you know yeah. like we've got some crossover here <laughs> well getting back to the beatles and lucy in the sky with diamonds you have to be able to visualize <laughs> something and doesn't that play a role in creativity because if you can't see it yeah, yeah. I make fun yeah. of the and, Beatles. And Van Gogh, but... you know, went, you know, loony, you know, boy, oh boy, could he see things, right? Yeah. Um, I, I guess one of the things we all need to ask ourselves is, you know, I'm, I'm going to joke, what is the purpose of this activity? <laughs> okay. Yeah. What is the purpose of the usage? Um, is it because you need help with uh, a depression? Is it because you want to explore or investigate uh, an, an altered state for purpose of artistry or whatnot? Or is it because you're trying to, you know, uh, a, a escape uh, your parents or a bad marriage and you just want to go blotto? Um, or is it peer pressure? You know, is it just go to plain drug use, right? Um, I, I, I don't think we can lump these things. No, we're not lumping them together. We're talking about creativity. And if, yeah. let's just say the Beatles didn't do LSD, would they have come up with Sergeant? Pepper's Lonely Heart Nights Band, you know. It's... Let's do a seance, bring them up from the dead, yeah. <laughs> well, no, but I, it, I, yeah. it, like I said, the person that can't visualize an apple, yeah. what, how, what do you have to do with neurofeedback or LSD to get the pathways going in order for them to be able to see it? Because well, not now, only just... I mean, what I do, I, I help people get out of um, uh, artist block, right? I mean, we do do some work to help train up uh, people, as you know, Jay was saying, you have to be good to get into Juilliard, right? You don't just, um, and we do help individuals get out of artist block. And again, we're working with the theta. I can see Jay's looking something up here. Um, uh, well, yeah. Well, while Jay's looking it up, I mean, in the corporate world, they, they, you know, you have vision boards because you're trying to motivate your employees. If you, yeah. if you don't have the goals or the reasons why you're doing the job, that yeah. will turn into money that you're going to go yeah. purchase something. You may, you may not have somebody that's motivated, whatever those motivations are. If they can't. Yeah, I mean, here we could talk about EEG assisted brainstorming. I mean, yeah, sure. That could be, that could be really great. I mean, there are companies, I don't want to mention them because I don't think they do it well uh, because they're not, you know, trauma informed is a big word now, but you've got to be really careful if you're going to, help people get into alpha states and theta states um, and not be prepared, prepared for potential trauma release and feeling unsafe and things. But um, if, you know what, this is looping around. If these, um, if, if you want to do collective uh, neurotherapy to access uh, um, creativity, um, why not? Just make sure it's done by somebody who knows their stuff. How do we know that, Jay? How do we know? Somebody? You know, uh, let's look at creativity for a moment. Um, there, there was a, a big project that was well funded by the, uh, the, the founder of Atari. Uh, had a lot of money from having sold his game 
uh, and uh, he, he wanted to get the next level game. And he wanted it to be based on the brain operating the computer. And he wanted it to be oriented to, to creativity. So he brought in some of the more creative people he knew from Silicon Valley and he tested their EEGs. The group was called the other 90%. You only use 10% of your EEG or your brain. So this is the other 90%, you know? So that was their little company. Now they collected a, quite a few brilliant creative folks and they found what they thought was creativity, a, a finding in these folks. So uh, they were all excited. They brought me in to, to, to take a look at what they had found and to tell them what I thought it might be. And I looked at their data, it was Lambda. And I, you know, I, I was the most disappointing news they had ever heard. Uh, they thought they found creativity and I told them, no, it's Lambda, it's visual processing. Now you can have excess Lambda from PTSD and anxiety and all of that, but you can also have visualization. Uh, and, and be a creative individual that uses visualization. So um, it wasn't creativity. It was people that were visualizers. And that's What's not, the difference? it's well, uh, uh, not everybody that's creative ends up being a visual visualizer. Um, it, uh, it, it's, it's a piece of it, but it's not creativity in and of itself. Yeah, I think uh -huh. it's a form of, I'm playing yeah. with you, but I think it's a, a very dominant form uh, of creativity. Yeah. And they, they, they were upset with my advice, uh, suggesting that it was just Lambda, um, even though that it wasn't a just Lambda, it was, you know, visualization. Uh, they brought a neurologist in to tell them what they thought it was. They said it's Lambda and uh, they gave up the project. Um, they ended up with a funky little game that operated off of the GSR. You kind of put your fingers on top of a deal. You control a skier going down a hill. Uh, you know, gamers, you've got to have a game that's got lots of levels and uh, um, uh, can keep you engaged. And this is, it was just too simplistic. Um, and, you know, they, uh, the, <laughs> Atari was a success. This wasn't. Uh, so, um, you know, they, they kind of bombed out on, on their, their project, unfortunately, but uh, their, their attempt at finding creativity by looking at EEG for a frequency probably wasn't the right approach. And uh, uh, undoubtedly, uh, uh, people that are creative end up having cross-frequency coupling so that unconscious material and conscious uh, uh, perception end up kind of uh, bonding in some fashion. So you have access to imagery and access to uh, uh, feelings and, and things like that, that quite commonly are uh, somewhat separate from normal conscious awake uh, um, activity. Unfortunately, you know, uh, uh, there, there are artists that walk down the street and see art uh, in their environment and there are other people that walk down the street and all they see is dirty sidewalks and, you know, the cats that have, you know, peed here and a dog crap over there. You know, they, they, they don't see the art in the world. They, they, they see the dirty underbelly of it. And it's the same scene, you know? Um, so. Uh, it, 
that pilot that was uh, hitching a ride, uh, if he had an EEG on what hitching a trip, yeah, what would what would that EEG look like? Just <laughs> well, uh, cross frequency coupling is enhanced with 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 um, uh, antigens that are hallucinatory. Uh, again, if you cross frequency couple uh, sight with smell. The, the, the uncus on the uh, mesial temporal surface for the sense of smell and taste, along with vision in the back of the head and you know, visual imagery processing, um, those normally don't talk. You know, they're, they're separate circuits, but uh, when you have synesthesia, uh, they're, they're, they're hooked. So, you know, you, uh, creatives hook up and tap into uh, connections that uh, other folks just don't. And if you're just looking for a frequency that is creativity, you'll never find it. Yeah. You know, it's, it, that's not the right way to look, you know, it, you know, you look under the streetlight for the thing you lost somewhere else, you know, it's a, it, it doesn't make any sense. We, we have to look uh, in a more complex way. When I had identified cross frequency coupling in healer, Healy uh, uh, consciousness stuff, um, I was asked to uh, identify when a healer group was doing some healing versus when they weren't. And they gave me a five-minute baseline and two five-minute periods, and I had to tell them when the healing was happening during the five-minute periods. Now, I told them accurately, and they got all excited that I could actually spot what it was, but I told them, well, for God's sakes, don't show anybody this data is. 50-50 chance. I mean, one or the other of the two five-minute periods. I mean, this this is not very impressive. Next time you do this experiment, which, you know, you did the experiment, you gave me the data afterwards, do 10 five-minute periods and pick two of the nine that aren't a baseline randomly as to when the healing has happened. And if you can catch accurately which two of the nine are done as healing, now you've got some data that people can be a little bit impressed by, you know, and uh, so they, they redid the experiment and they did it that way. And it was easy enough to spot. I just looked for cross frequency coupling. That's all I looked for. I, you know, I didn't know what kind I was going to see, but if you're going to deal with a goofy consciousness, it's going to have cross frequency coupling stuff in it. And, you know, healer Healy stuff was uh, identified as, as cross frequency coupling from, uh, uh, Schumann resonance frequencies, basically at a distance, and um, just looking for those cross frequency coupling, I could spot when the healing was being done. Now, this group of healers were, their image was uh, uh, shooting lightning into the individual uh, as as they're healing. Now, if you're shooting lightning into a person in reality, it's not too healing for them. Uh, that that would probably put you down pretty fast, but. Um, Interestingly, the Schumann resonance is created by lightning strikes in the atmosphere. So, yeah, who knows? But their choice of image. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Their uh, uh, their technique basically created all the cross frequency coupling. I simply turned on the bispectral index and scanned through. And if the resonance was there, it was healing. If it wasn't there, it wasn't. It was it was easy. Yes or no. It, there was no fuzzy in between, uh, you, you either were doing it or you weren't doing it. So uh, 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 again, if you're looking for 
high-level consciousness stuff. Don't look for a frequency. Look for combinations of frequencies that are interacting. And uh, uh, that, that that's where you're going to end up seeing it. You never know where you're going to get a podcast from. <laughs> Pilot on shrooms for the first time turns into creativity, turns into musicians, turns into... Yeah. And then here, here we are. Yeah. And, Dr. Dr. Murray, you got anything to add on, on this? I just, no, I think it's fascinating. It's, you know, we're all seeking, um, you know, some form of altered state for different, for different purpose. Um, and I, you know, power to exploration. Yeah. Power to exploration, but you know, not that one, <laughs> not that one. <laughs> Pardon my bumpy my bumpy camera today. I, I, oh, my yeah. my my assistant is, yes, is yes. Uh, here uh, yeah. here on on the lap. And, uh, That's nice. So yeah. he nice. he kind of readjusts and bumps the. Of course he does the, the table here when he wants to. So. Well, and on a closing note, you know, it could be like Elon Musk says, "This is all a simulation." So. <laughs> yeah. He's getting pretty rich in his simulation, though. <laughs> Dr. Uh, yes, Jay? Yeah, I look at his life and I think it should be simulated. <laughs> so, uh, what a mess. <laughs> one, one mess is one guy's mess is another man's treasure. Dr. Mary Swingle. Jake Uncle, thank you for, for another riveting episode of the Neuro Noodle. Thank you. Have a good day. Bye bye, everybody. The Neuro Noodle podcast is supported by listeners and businesses just like you. 